Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Jonah. It's right between Obadiah and Micah. Uh, This week's project list included installing a baseboard in uh, our bedroom at home. Uh, uh, I don't know if it was a style or if it was just a cheapness, but there's no baseboard in our whole house. And so as, as you know, over the years I've been adding that. And uh, some time back, uh, you know, several years ago when I planned to do this, I found some vintage material. Don't you love the word vintage? That's the new word for old stuff nobody wants. Well, you go to the restore and you can get vintage, you can get baseboard that pretty much matches the era of my house. So I painted it, I, I primed it, and I sanded, and I painted, you know, and, and got it all nice and smooth and the right color. You know, we painted the bedroom this week, so I'm going to put this baseboard in. I get out my air nailer. Oh, yeah. Whoever invented that needs to have an extra star in his crown in heaven. And got out my air nailer, my little compressor, my little portable compressor, and, and, and I, you know, kabam! And the baseboard's still loose. You know, you want your baseboard to suck right up against the wall. You know, you know and kabam! Kabam! Kabam, 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 the baseboard will not get a hold of a stud, no matter what I do. I measure, and I do this, and I do that, and I was so frustrated. The Christian life can be frustrating if you don't know how to live it. If you aren't living the Christian life in the way that God intends, you You don't enjoy life because, number one, you don't enjoy sin because the Holy Spirit keeps convicting you, but you're not enjoying righteousness because you're not experiencing that either. My goal in these last uh, two weeks and today, this three-week short series, is is just to say, hey, here's here's some critical thoughts, some key thoughts on how to live the Christian life. First and foremost, we looked uh, at the first week from this truth, at this truth, Christian growth only comes by diligent effort. Diligent effort. The intention to grow doesn't create any growth. We have to do what God said we to do. We have to do it diligently. Last week, we looked at the importance of a dedicated heart. Busyness is not the same as godliness. Helen just described the Greek Orthodox Church. It is busy. They have services. They have blessings. They do these different things, but the heart isn't right with God. Busyness is not the same as godliness. We have to be godly. We have to be dedicated in our heart, then serve out of that dedicated heart. And today I want to complete this this sort of three-legged stool of truth by recognizing this, this, uh, this truth. An awareness of God's will does not replace repentance. An awareness of God's will does not replace repentance. Now, the word repentance is one we don't use a lot. It's it's become certainly a lot more popular in some Christian circles in recent days, and some of that is good and some of it isn't. Um, For some of you that have been around a while, the word repentance may sound like fire and brimstone, like the preacher would stand up and say, you need to repent, and you do. But the truth is, the word repent, the concept of repentance in the Bible, 
is a very important concept, and we need to understand it. And we want to do that, first of all, by looking at a picture of repentance, an experience of repentance from the book of Jonah. So we'll start in chapter 1 and then just skip over to chapter 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now skip to chapter 3, please. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. In other words, it took three days either to go around it or across. We're not sure which, but it was a huge city. Verse 4, And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of these. Then the word, of, then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covering himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? The key concept in repentance, I believe, is, is summarized for us here in Jonah 3.8. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Repentance means first and foremost turning toward God from sin. Turning toward God from sin. The, the, the word repentance that's used in the New Testament primarily means to change your mind. Now, it's never used just in the sense of, of changing your mind. It's more in, used in the sense of a life change. But the root meaning is to change your mind. The sackcloth and the ashes was the way in this Old Testament era, the, the not just, obviously, this was a, a, these were ungodly people to begin with. It, it wasn't something described in the law but when they really felt bad about something, they would take off their regular clothes and put on sackcloth or a rough kind of clothing. And they would put ashes on their head, in this case, sit in the ashes, and they would show, hey, I, I feel really bad about what's gone on here. But repentance is not feeling bad about sin. It's not hard to feel bad about sin. I feel bad about sin every time I do it. You feel bad about sin. The Holy Spirit brings guilt to your life. If you're an unbeliever, there's a certain guilt that the Holy Spirit brings there as well. You can feel bad, but the repentance, the repentance is talked about in verse 5 and verse 8. The people of Nineveh did what? 
They believed God. That's repentance. You see, they were, they were walking along this way. They had their whole way of life that included apparently a lot of violence because it talks about uh, turning from their wickedness and from their violence and so on. And they had this whole way of living. And Jonah came along and says, God says he's going to destroy you. And they heard that message and they said, we're wrong. We are wrong. God is right. We've been going this way. Now we're going to go this way. Now, as a result of believing in God, as a result of repenting, they sat in sackcloth and ashes to show that they really believed they were wrong and that God was right. Repentance means turning toward God from sin. Repentance is always based on God's truth, and that's what we see here. These people didn't just wake up one morning and say, well, I think I'm going to change my life. The change of life that we need is always the result of God's truth. Um, Listen to what Jesus said about the men of Nineveh. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Jesus was, was rebuking the people who were around him at the time. He says, these people were greater than you. He, he was talking to some Jewish folks, and he was commending the men of Nineveh, which were not Jewish folks. So that was quite a thing. But the thing that's important, we understand that repentance is always based on God's truth. We change our mind based on God's truth. The Ninevites used to think their sin was just fine. Jonah told them God's opinion, no, it's not fine. And so they changed their mind and they changed their behavior to go with it. Now, it's not enough to be aware of God's truth. The Ninevites could have listened to Jonah and said to their friends, hey, did you hear what that guy said? Yeah, I heard what that guy said. I was downtown when he was preaching. I was over here. I heard it. I heard it. I heard it. I heard it. I know it. I'm aware of it. Boy, that sure sounds like something. That's awareness. To know the truth in a sense of awareness has no value whatsoever in our relationship with God. But when we hear the truth and say, oh no, I'm wrong. I've been going this way. I need to go that way. Otherwise, God will judge. That's repentance. It's repentance when we change in line with the truth. Listen to the testimony of the Thessalonians. Paul is is talking about what some other Christians said about the Thessalonian Christians. They declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols. To serve the living and true God. See, when Paul came into town and said, there is one God and his son Jesus Christ died for your sins and you need to believe it and so on, the people didn't say, hmm, I've heard of Jesus. Hmm, boy, did you go and hear the the apostle Paul preaching this morning? That was some good preaching. Yeah, boy, that was some good stuff. What do you think? Well, this and that and the other. No, they didn't, they didn't just hear it. They weren't just aware of it. They acted on it. They turned to God from idols. They quit serving their idols. They start serving God. And so what this helps us to understand is that repentance describes the process of obedience. 
Now, there's a sense in which obedience is just instantaneous. Okay, I mean, when we actually obey, it comes at a moment. But there is a bit of a process of thought and of, and of heart or belief, which is, first of all, I'm, I'm living in sin, and then I hear the truth, I obey, I believe it, and I obey, and I turn and start walking in righteousness. That's the process of, that's the process of obedience. Now, what's interesting in Jonah is there's two examples of repentance, isn't there? And the first one is Jonah, and the second one is the people of Nineveh. Because, you know, if you know your Bible, you know in verse 3 of Jonah 1, right after God says, go to Nineveh and preach, tell them I'm going to come and destroy them. Verse 3, what did Jonah do? He arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down into it, and went to Tarshish. Now, did Jonah know the truth of God about Nineveh? Yes, he did. God said, I'm going to destroy it. He knew the truth. Did he know he was supposed to go there and preach? Yes, he knew the truth. He was supposed to go there and preach. Did it do him any good at all? No. Not until he said, I have to obey God. And that comes in, uh, that comes in, Jonah 3, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. And lo and behold, the Lord said the same thing again. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I will tell you. And Jonah, after he'd been swallowed by the whale, rattled around in there for three days, he said, okay, God, I get it. Okay? Repentance is the process whereby we hear God's truth, believe God's truth, and obey God's truth, which always involves leaving our human way, following the divine way. To repent is to learn God's truth, believe it, and act on it, leaving all other ideas behind. As such, the first repentance is at salvation. I'm sorry, dude, I think I might have put part of that in your notes right there. To repent is to learn God's truth, believe it, act on it, leaving all other ideas behind. So the first repentance must be at salvation. After Jesus' resurrection, he did a, a number of different personal ministries. One of them was on the road to Emmaus. It's in the last chapter of Luke. And he was walking down the road, and it says he opened their understanding. There was these two men who had been followers of his. He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And he said, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Repentance and remission of sins. I want to look first of all at this term remission because it is also a word that we don't use a lot, but it's the same word that is translated forgiveness. Forgiveness. Sometimes it's translated remit, sometimes it's translated forgive, and uh, you know the men with uh, more degrees than I have made those choices. 
But the forgiveness of sin, um, and I, I left one verse out that, uh, that I want to share with you, which is Ephesians 1.7. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins, according to the riches in grace. And so to preach the remission, as Jesus said must be done, is to preach forgiveness. Preach forgiveness. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3, please. Romans chapter 3. And let's see what it is we need to know in order to repent at salvation. Romans 3, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we ask the question, what do you have to change your mind about in order to receive the forgiveness of sin? First and foremost, you have to change your mind about the fact that you are a sinner. If you're not a sinner, you don't need a Savior. If you look at yourself in the mirror and say, I am just fine, then you don't need a Savior. But if you understand what God says and the demands that he has placed on mankind, starting with Adam and Eve right down to us, you understand that you are a sinner. Now, most people know that they're not perfect. Let's just put it that way. Most people will agree, well, well nobody's perfect. Okay, let's start there. And so most people go to step two, which is, I know I'm not perfect, but I am going to do enough good deeds that God is going to welcome me into heaven. Very common ideology, doesn't seem to change over time, no matter what people think in the world. Helen is, and her family is going to come over for dinner today, over to our house. And uh, last night, we were doing some prep on the food, getting some things ready. And I washed my hands. In fact, one of the ways I like to, when I prepare a lot of food, I like to wear rubber gloves because then I can wash my hands and the stuff comes off the rubber gloves just like that. And I can wash in between everything and, and it's, you know, and we're going to have a nice big piece of pork shoulder with a little barbecue sauce, you know, kind of a, kind of a barbecue-inspired meal. And, you know, if you know anything about pork, there's a special germs with pork. You've got to be extra careful. So you're washing your hands. Now, here's the deal about that. I love Helen. I love to eat. I love good food. If I have dirty hands, maybe I have the pork on my hands and I cross-contaminate to something else. Does the fact that I love Helen and I love the food make up for the fact that I have contaminated the food? No, it does not. Okay? And, and, and if I had just come in from, uh, from painting 
or working on the car and, and I, you know, you, ha- you got that kind of dirt that you can really see on your hands and you think, I'm going to make some biscuits, you know, and I'm going to mix some food up. Say, but I love you. I love you dearly. So the germs won't matter. The contamination won't matter, right? Here's the deal. If you're an imperfect human being, you can look up to heaven and say, oh God, I love you, I love you. I'm gonna do things for you. I'm gonna serve you. I'm gonna give you all kinds of things. And God says, I don't want your dirty-handed service. You can say you love God, but if your hands are dirty with sin, which God says your hands are dirty with sin until you put faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. If your hands are dirty with sin, it doesn't matter how much you do. It's all contaminated. My dad almost single-handedly caused us to lose World War II (laughs) because he was a cook in the Navy. He cut his finger while he was making biscuits one time. And he said, oh, it won't matter. All the biscuits came out kind of red-colored. You know what? You know what God calls our acts of righteousness that we try to offer him in our human flesh? He calls them dirty diapers. He calls them something disgusting. You need to come to a point in your life where you say, I am a sinner. I cannot please God without a change, a fundamental change in my life. And Romans 3 enunciates that truth. It says, we are all sinners. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on. Verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption, through the, that is, through the buying back of our sinful souls that is in Christ, whom God set forth as a payment by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness Because in his forbearance, God passed over the sins that were previously committed. In other words, he was waiting till the death of Christ to be able to forgive those past sins. To demonstrate now at this present time his righteousness, that he might be just or righteous and the one who makes people righteous through faith in Christ. The second truth that we have to understand is this. Christ is the Savior. Christ is the only Savior. There is no one else. And if you turn with me down to Romans chapter 10, you see the great third truth that we have to know and we have to act on in repentance. Romans 10 chapter 8. What does it say? The word is near you. The truth is near you. It is in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach that if... If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This is not a a multiple step process. This is God describing salvation from all angles. 
We have to believe that all God requires is faith. We can't come to God saying, okay, I believe in Jesus, but I'm going to do these other things just to, just to prove to you that, that I am worthy of your grace, and I'm going to hope that you take these and, and give me the grace of God. No, no. One of the largest religions in the world teaches that salvation is by grace through Christ, but that you have to earn the grace. You've got to do enough stuff so that God will look down and say, okay, I guess you deserve the free gift that I'm going to give you. God requires faith alone. Faith alone. The great question we have to ask when we come to God in salvation is, have we repented of our humanistic beliefs? In other words, I used to believe I'm not a sinner. I used to believe I don't need a Savior. I used to believe that heaven is something you merit by doing good deeds in your life. Now I understand that I I am a sinner, that Christ is the Savior, and that all God wants is my faith. Have we repented? If we've repented, that means we've come to Christ on God's terms. Now, one of the things, one of the, I believe, misconceptions I'd like to to just perhaps uh, share with you about in modern evangelicalism, there, there has come a fad in recent days on the use of the word repentance, and it, and it kind of goes like this. If you don't say the word repent in the presentation of salvation and perhaps in, in your coming to Christ, then you're really not saved. And I think the misunderstanding is this. God didn't command us to say the word repent. God commanded us to repent. God commanded us to change our beliefs and our life as a result of those beliefs. What we see in the scripture is that God uses many words to describe the salvation experience. In John 1.12, as many as received him. Sometimes we will say, would you like to receive Christ? And that's a fine appeal. There's nothing wrong with that. As many as received him, Uh, He gave the right to become the children of God. In John 4.10, Jesus talked to the woman at the well, and, and he didn't use any of the normal words we use in talking about salvation. He said, if you if you really understood who you're talking to, you would ask him and he would give you. And he's talking about eternal life there. Um, in, in Acts, Peter said, repent, here's our word, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. He, he basically summarizes this whole thing like I've been doing today, and of course that was after he preached a long sermon to them. In Acts 16, um, uh, this is the Philippian jailer after the earthquake, and, and the guy was in fear of, of, of what would happen to him if all the prisoners had escaped, and none of them had escaped, and he came out and said to to Paul, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You know, uh, over a hundred times the word believe is used. It's kind of the primary word used about what we need to do in order to come to a saving relationship with Christ. And, um, and then we come to Romans 10 and it says confess and believe. 
And the word confess is the same idea of repentance. It means let go of your old way of thinking and agree with God. The first repentance is its salvation, but repentance continues throughout the Christian life. First of all, repentance demonstrates our salvation. When Paul was on trial, he shared, the, he shared his testimony and included these words. King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. If you have truly stopped believing in your old sinful ways and started believing in God's truth, then what will come from that is works that demonstrate repentance. A person who wants to claim a relationship with God while continuing their sinful life has not truly repented of their old ways of thinking. The Apostle John said the same thing in a different way. This is the message we've heard from him, and we declare it to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us. Thank you. Repentance demonstrates our salvation. If you have truly repented of your sinful belief system, embraced Christ as Savior, the result will be a new life and it will be visible. Secondly, repentance demonstrate, or summarizes that process of Christian growth. We already talked about this a little bit. But uh, there, we, we looked at this well-known passage last week. We looked at the first verse and, and we want to look at the second verse this week. Beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or demonstrate what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When we have truly repented, our life changes as believers in Christ, our behavior has changed from ungodly to godly. Jesus himself put it this way, teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. It's not just a matter of being aware of the truth, but of obeying the truth. I don't know if you've ever been pulled over by a police officer when you're driving down the street. Um, I have some faint recollection of that. Did you know how fast you were going? I refuse to answer on the grounds that it may incriminate me. <laughs> Did you know what the speed limit was? Ditto. <laughs> See, you can be aware of the truth, but not observing the truth. Repentance is when we say, I, I hear God's truth, 
and it is different than my truth, and I'm going to turn and walk in God's way. Here's a real-life example of repentance from the Corinthians. You know, the Apostle Paul had to really confront them and rebuke them in a very, uh, very, uh, I won't call it harsh because it was godly, but it was a very strong kind of way. And that we read about that in the book of 1 Corinthians. And then in 2 Corinthians, he says this, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry. In other words, I, I'm not glad that you felt bad. He said, I don't take any joy in making you feel bad. But that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorrow, sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. He wrote to them and said, you're living in sin as a church, you're living in sin. I mean, he really rebuked them, and they felt bad. Now, feeling bad is not the repentance. Do you understand that? He said, your sorrow led to a change of life. And he said, for that, I'm glad. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. What is the sorrow of the world if it's different from godly sorrow? It's the sorrow over being caught. It's the sorrow that says, I'm sorry, Mr. Policeman, that I was going fast. You don't really need to give me a ticket, do you? That's what we're thinking. Are we really sorry about what we did? Most of the time we're not. We're sorry for getting caught. Okay? The godly sorrow, though, does produce change. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. In other words, they were so convicted by God and they felt so bad, they said, wow, we have been living in a humanistic way. We have to change and live in a godly way or a theistic way. We've got to change our lives. And they did. And as such, we understand that when it comes to when it comes to the Christian life, repentance is a one-time act followed by daily, hourly, minute-by-minute minute acts, whatever it takes. Every time we realize, oh, I've been thinking like an unbeliever, I have to change and think like a believer and live like a believer. Well, what hinders repentance? Uh, there's several things that hinder it, but I just want to focus on one. It's mistaking an awareness of the truth for obedience to the truth. And that's the emphasis I want to bring today. It's not enough to say, oh, I know what I should do. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. When you hear the word of God, when you read the word of God, and... To yourself, you say, oh, that's true. There is a deception if you don't go beyond hearing it and being aware of it to doing it. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. 
he, he observes himself. He goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, that's a synonym for the word of God, and he continues in it, and he's not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one, this one will be blessed in what he does. And, and I want to add a point to your notes, and I hope that doesn't frustrate you too much. But coming right off of that, this one will be blessed. What is the blessing of repentance? Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. I just want to read a passage and, and show you the blessing of walking with the Lord. Uh, as I've said, repentance is really a summary of the Christian life. When I hear the word and do the word, I am blessed in what I do. And I think Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9, describes that blessing. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Do you understand that when you walk with the Lord, you gain his way of perceiving the world and the way of perceiving your life and understanding and knowing. You get up and you say, I know how to live. I know what to do. I know where I need to go. And it's not because you are arrogantly making decisions about your life. It's because God is in you and you are walking with him and the Holy Spirit is guiding you. Spiritual understanding is the first blessing of repentance. Verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work. We had the Lord's Supper this morning. And, and I hope you took the time to look inside and ask yourself the question, am I living in a way that says I remember you? Am I honoring you? When you are living in repentance, that is, when you're, when you're constantly saying, I reject worldly wisdom, I accept God's truth, and I live in it, I'm walking with the Lord. When you do that, you are honoring the Lord who saved you. You can know that you're honoring him. It's not a, it's not a mystery. It's something you can't understand. Verse 10 goes on to say that we can be fruitful in every good work. You know what that means? That means your life has meaning. You ever wonder if, if you're amounting to anything? If you're accomplishing anything? Well, here's the key. Walk with the Lord and your life will be eternally meaningful. It's fruitful. Verse 11. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering. We can be strong. I love that. I, uh, I, I can't imagine anybody wanting to be weak. We want to be strong people. We want to, 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 to have it together. The way that that happens is by walking with the Lord in, in consistent repentance. And we can gain patience I don't know about you, but I don't like the lessons of patience, but I like becoming patient. Now, some of you might not, might not realize this about me. You might think I'm kind of always impatient a little bit. When I was young and in the ministry, boy, let's go, let's go, let's do it, let's do it. Arr! 
hurry, 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 and nothing happened fast enough for me. And now I'm the old guy going, hey, take her easy. We're going to get there. We're going to get this done. And you know what? That's a gift of God. We're not going to give up on where we're going. But we're not going to stop. But we are going to patiently move along. We can become patient. Verse 12, we can become confident and joyful about the future, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Uh, That's a a high-powered theological verse, but the inheritance is what God has waiting for you in heaven. In fact, there's uh, some verses that talk about Jesus and us being co-inheritors. And what is he going to inherit? The whole universe. And we are his brothers, co-inheritors. Verse 13, the last part of this blessing. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Freedom from the enslavement of sin. Wow. What a, what, a, what a great blessing is ours in the Christian life. <sighs> After blasting so many holes in my beautiful baseboard, I went and bought a stud finder. Little electronic thing you can put on there and it'll find the two by fours, you know. There's some other ways. You know, you can drill holes where, 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 where it can't be seen. You know, I, I understand some of those things. If, if any of you have any real great tricks, I would like to learn those after church. But uh, my, problem, my problem was on, in the evening that I was doing this at about 8.30 at night was that I was tired and I was in a hurry to finish so I could go sit down. And you know what I kept doing? I kept repeating the same ineffective plan over and over. Well, that one didn't work. Maybe this one will work. Maybe I can blast one in there. I think it's this way. Maybe it's that way. And after a while, I went, what am I doing? <laughs> went and bought a new piece of material. There's another story to go with that one. but (laughs) If you just keep repeating the same ineffective ways of living the Christian life over and over, you won't make any progress. We've got to say, God, what is your way? And God's way involves repentance. It involves saying, my ways are wrong, God's ways are right. And it's not just an awareness of that, but a willingness to say, I will pick up your ways and I will do your ways until they become my ways. Heavenly Father, oh, I thank you for the freedom and the joy and the peace and the, the meaning and all of the great things that you have brought to my life. I just thank you for that. I know you had to drag me in when I didn't want to repent of my own ways. But I thank you for that. And I pray that for everybody here, that everybody here would know the blessing of living with you.
Help us to move toward you today, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.